On Monday, a columnist at Salon.com named Brittany Delacritas authored an article titled Trump-era anti-Semitism changed in my family. We started going to synagogue. The author says that until recently she had, quote, considered myself a non-practicing Jew, a reformed atheist who found my way back to some sort of spirituality and began to embrace the cultural history of Judaism that I was raised with. But she hadn't stepped into synagogue in years. Until Trump. Delacritas writes, quote, But then a news alert came across the screen of my phone three days before Trump's inauguration. The Jewish community center a few miles from my home had been evacuated following a bomb threat. I felt my palms begin to sweat as I stared at the notification in disbelief, jaw slightly slack. Not here. Not now. Anti-Semitism, which until this time in my life has been only a theory, instantly became incredibly real. Even here in the liberal bubble of Massachusetts, hatred is alive and well. The JCC bomb threat suspects, it turns out, were a leftist journalist and a Jewish teenager with mental problems, but the JCC threats were merely an entree for Dilakritas to target the real anti-Semites. Quote, anti-Semitic hate crimes are at their highest levels in years. Jewish community centers around the country are getting bomb threats at an alarming rate. Steve Bannon, an anti-Semite, is in the White House. Swastikas appear like hideous confetti decorating walls and buildings all over the country. Jewish cemeteries have been vandalized. And while President Trump may have reminded us about his Jewish family members and assured us at a recent press conference that we're going to see a a lot of love under his administration so far. I don't see it. Never mind we don't have any suspects in the cemetery vandalisms yet. Never mind that Bannon isn't an anti-Semite, I should know, since I'm an Orthodox Jew who worked with him for two years daily and think he's a garbage human being for other reasons. Now, I'm not going to pretend that I wasn't upset by the level of anti-Semitic vitriol I received from some Trump supporters during the last election cycle. According to the Anti-Defamation League, I was the top journalistic recipient of anti-Semitism on Twitter by a wide margin. I received thousands upon thousands of overtly anti-Semitic tweets during the campaign. But that was not why I went to shul and kept kosher or turned off my computer for Shabbat. I did all of those things because Judaism is my religion and my way of life. I practice Judaism not in opposition to anti-Semitism, but because Judaism has real true value. Delacritus isn't actually interested in Judaism. She's interested in redefining Judaism to mean leftism and then saying that she's rededicated to her leftism because of Trump. To her, Judaism is social justice warrior stuff, an excuse to virtue signal and push leftist values. Here how she's, here's how she describes Judaism. Quote, now more than ever, I want to teach my children what it means to be Jewish. Our faith has a long history of resistance. No matter how many times history has tried to erase us, to wipe us out, we have survived. We have resisted our own demise, and we have fought for the rights of others. Our people were active in the civil rights movement and fighting alongside black folks in the 1950s and 60s. Today, my family has Black Lives Matter signs in our home and on our shirts. Before my oldest daughter could even walk, she marched with me as a Jew for the liberation of Palestine, strapped to my chest in a sling. It is through complacency that we can become perpetuators of the oppression we were once victims of via a vote for Trump or belief in marginalized people's ability to bootstrap their way to success. It is through turning towards instead of turning away that we connect to our roots as oppressed people. And it is this Judaism, the one that centers the fight for justice that I connect to. It is the one that finally makes sense. Instead of turning away from our community, we are choosing to become part of it for the first time in our adult lives, unquote. This is horse crap. Judaism is about a particular set of beliefs and practices. It's wonderful that Jews were active in the civil rights movement, and they certainly called upon the Bible for support. So did Martin Luther King Jr., of course. But marching for the liberation of Palestine while Palestinians murder Jews in the streets and elect Hamas is not Judaic. It's anti-Judaic. Neither is marching for the Black Lives Matter movement, which castigates police and makes innocent black Americans more vulnerable to the predations of crime. And it's certainly not a Judaic concept to shirk personal responsibility and suggest that people can't rise in a free society. Delacritas' article is only important because it demonstrates that for the secular left, religious practice is a charade. It's just a way to claim marginalization and minority status rather than abiding by the dictates of a religion that actually demands something of its adherence. If Delacritas truly wants to participate in Judaism, she should start with 
with the synagogue and let it shape her rather than the other way around. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Well, this has turned into a very, very busy news day. President Trump has signed an executive order on religious freedom. I thought I would be celebrating. Unfortunately, I cannot because it's a crappy executive order. Honestly, God, President Trump, do better than this. He's also not doing a great job on the Israeli-Palestinian issue, which I will talk about. Plus, Trump care is going to be rammed through the House, and we'll go through the details on what this crap sandwich looks like. Uh, but before we get to all of that enlightening and uplifting news, uh, we have to, and I would like to, say thank you to our advertisers over at Wink. So... If you are somebody who doesn't know anything about wine, if you're somebody who is, you have to go over to somebody's house and you want to bring a bottle of wine, but you don't know the difference between a bottle of wine and a bottle of vinegar, you need to go to trywink.com slash Ben. When you go to trywink.com slash Ben, they give you a survey and you fill it out. It's personalized to you. It asks you your taste in food and what what flavors you like to eat together. And then it tells you what wine is best for you to bring over to somebody's house or for you to order for yourself. You don't have to be a wine connoisseur. You don't have to know a sommelier. Uh, from a hole in the ground in order for you to understand how wine works by going to trywink.com slash Ben. And their bottle's like $9.99 a pop. So right now, if you go to trywink.com slash Ben, you get $20 off plus complimentary shipping, which is awesome. Uh, so you get two bottles that are basically on the house if you do go to trywink.com slash Ben. And uh, it, it is a great service, obviously. It makes a perfect gift for Mother's Day, by the way. Whether it's the Wink membership with wines that are personalized to your mom's palate and shipped right to her door, or a beautiful gift box, you'll be able to give delicious and unique wine to the hardworking mother in your life. Or you can get your mom a membership also, and then she can buy as much wine as she wants. And given that you're her child, she probably wants to drink heavily. In any case, trywink.com slash Ben is the place to get $20 off plus complimentary shipping Wink.com for people who don't know wine but want to look like they do and want to drink some good wine in the process. Everybody in the office has tried the Wink wine, and they say that it is excellent. It's also why the production quality on the show has slipped markedly in recent days as we put Austin into AA. In any case, uh, let's, it's, there, there's a lot breaking in the news uh, today. Uh, let, let's start with the Trump executive order. So yesterday, I talked in sterling terms about this executive order that was going to come from President Trump on religious liberty. Bum, 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 bum. giant fail. So he brings out the actual executive order. The executive order, if it had looked like the one that they were looking at a couple of months ago, would have attempted to protect religious bakers and photographers from people attempting to crack down on them for not operating for same-sex weddings, baking cakes for same-sex weddings. It would have tried to exempt religious organizations from the, from the overt antipathy of the IRS trying to crack down on religious organizations because religious organizations aren't pro-LGBT enough. That's what the original order was supposed to do. Instead, this order only touches the so-called Johnson Amendment. The Johnson Amendment is this amendment that basically says uh, that it's a piece of legislation that says that the IRS is supposed to remove nonprofit status from churches that speak overtly politically and No one pays attention to the Johnson Amendment. It hasn't really been enforced in decades. It's not something that has a long history of brutal repression attached to it. It's not great, but it's not a huge thing. And Trump, that's all Trump has done. So as I say, the originally drafted executive order would have attempted to get rid of a lot of these regulations that stop religious people from operating in the public sphere. So there are federal anti-discrimination laws that say that grants, this is something that Obama did, that grants... Uh, from the federal government and and contracts from the federal government can only go to firms that do not, quote, discriminate against the LGBT community. 
this would have stopped that for religious business owners because if you're a Christian and you own a business that's like a defense contractor and you don't want to pay for somebody's same-sex wedding or somebody's same-sex health benefits, that should not be your fault. You're a religious person. You have the ability to do that in the United States. Nobody has a right to health care from you because this is a free country still. I, I never understood why this is a religious argument as opposed to a freedom of association argument. You should be allowed to do business with whoever you want to do business with and not allowed to do business with whoever you don't want to do business with. That's what the free market is for. If you discriminate against people, they will form their own businesses. There are other businesses out there to take care of them. Honestly, if you can't find a baker that will cater your gay wedding, then you're not living in the real world. There are lots of bakers, and a lot of them are gay themselves, and the vast majority of bakers will provide for your gay wedding. The same thing is certainly true of wedding gown designers and, and photographers and florists. It's all ridiculous. But in any case, Trump comes forward with this executive order, and it's just garbage. So CBS News reports the executive order allows the IRS, when IRS officials choose, okay, so now they've got selective prosecution going on, not to enforce the Johnson Amendment, which prohibits nonprofits such as churches and charities from directly or indirectly directly engaging in a political campaign, but the order does not provide blanket relief for tax-exempt religious organizations, opening the possibility the IRS could pick and choose whom to penalize. Ed Morrissey, who's sort of a fan of President Trump, he explains that this policy is actually the worst of both worlds. He says, which churches will have to worry about the IRS in a Trump administration? Which churches will have to worry about the IRS in a future Democratic administration? This arbitrariness does not provide stronger religious liberty. It takes us further from the rule of law and closer to the rule of executive whim. Trump is out there today talking about how his cardinals love it. That's his words. He says, my cardinals. They're not his cardinals, but this, again, is just a bad piece of, of policy pushed by President Trump. So that's bad. In other bad news, uh, I want to talk about the, the Trump care thing in just a second, because that, of course, is the big news of the day. In other bad news, President Trump has now announced that he is going to Israel. He's going to visit Israel. While he's in Israel, he's going to visit with Mahmoud Abbas, the terrorist leader of the Palestinian Authority. He has a long history of associating with, promoting, promulgating, partnering with terrorists. He wrote his entire thesis when he was a young man on, uh, on I believe, it was Holocaust denial. In any case, uh, Mahmoud Abbas is uh, one of the grosser figures in the world, and Trump is going to meet with him in Bethlehem, which is a propaganda coup for Abbas. He met with him at the White House yesterday, and when he met with him at the White House, he flew the Palestinian flag, which is really gross. He shouldn't be flying the flag of a state that doesn't exist, and if it were to exist, would be a terrorist state. And the fact is that in meeting with him in Bethlehem, this is one of the propaganda things that Abbas and the Palestinians try to say, is that Jesus was a Palestinian. Jesus was a Jew gang. Jesus was not a Palestinian. And the idea that the, that the, the Jews in Israel are just like the Herodian villains in, in the New Testament is asinine. Trump is forwarding that propaganda by visiting with Abbas. It really is quite gross. Abbas totally played Trump yesterday. It's obvious that he played Trump yesterday. Again, I wish that I had good things to say about Trump today, but he needs to do a good job in order for me to say good things about him. So Mahmoud Abbas, the Palestinian terrorist leader, he, uh, he sits with Trump and he says that the Palestinian children are raised in a culture of peace. Mr. President, I affirm to you that we are raising our youth, our children, our grandchildren on a culture of peace, and we are endeavoring to uh, bring about security, freedom, and peace for our children to live like the other children in the world, along with the Israeli children, in peace, uh, freedom, and security. And Trump replies to that. Here's what Trump has to say about it. Let's see if we can find this. Yeah, it is. The, 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 the. Solution. It's a uh, 
something that I think is, frankly, uh, maybe not as difficult as people have thought over the years. But we need two willing parties. We believe Israel is willing. We believe you're willing. And if you both are willing, we're going to make a deal. This is absolute horse crap. It's not so hard. Okay, the Middle East is not so hard. You mean a religious conflict that has now been going on for over a millennium is not that hard? I'm, I'm so glad that President Trump is here, just like Andrew Jackson, to solve the Civil War. I'm glad that President Trump here is here to solve Middle East peace. By the way, Abbas is totally playing him. This is from Palestinian TV last year. Okay, if you haven't seen this, it's from Palestinian TV. Dear viewers, we want to talk about the number of martyrs in Palestine. This is children's television compared to the number of dead Israelis. This is an indication of the tyranny of the Israelis. The occupation kills many of us who are martyred. These are young young teenagers wearing the hijab who are talking in a children's setting. This points to the violence and tyranny of the occupation. They execute many Palestinians in cold blood. And then the occupation, it's claims that they had stabbed soldiers. It has become almost like, again, this is on children's TV. They're telling outright propagandistic lies about what the Israelis do. They, they're claiming that the Israelis plant the knives on the Palestinian kids, even though they're, they're on film doing this stuff. Glory and eternity to our murderers. We salute their families and we revere the young heroes who sacrificed their lives. This is what's on Palestinian TV, okay? This garbage is what's on Palestinian TV. TV, and the fact that President Trump is sitting there going, well, I think we can solve it. I think it's easy to solve. No, it's not easy to solve. And he says, well, we have two willing parties, and I believe you're willing. What makes you believe that they're willing? What makes you believe that? Why are you even having Abbas to the White House? Abbas is clearly presiding over terrorist regime. Hamas, Islamic Jihad, and Palestinian Authority are in a joint government. But Trump, because he thinks that he's smarter than everybody else, and in fact is really, really dumb on these kinds of issues, uh, is getting himself in trouble. It's very, very frustrating. We'll get to Trump care in just a second. But first, I want to say thank you to some new sponsors that we have. So, did you know that 35 million American families have no life insurance? Zero. It's about 30% of all U.S. households. Most Americans think that life insurance costs two to three times more than it actually does. And almost half of American families would have trouble covering an emergency expense in excess of $400. That's why you need to go and visit my friends over at PolicyGenius.com. PolicyGenius.com is the best online life insurance marketplace. The most accurate quotes from top A-rated life insurance companies. I have life insurance on my life. My wife has life insurance. If you are a young adult and you have student loans even, you should have life insurance that your parents don't end up saddled with those student loans. You should always have life insurance to make sure that you can take care of your family or your loved ones in case something bad should happen to you. Mostly people in my audience, young people, don't have life insurance. That's really dumb because if you're young, you have a you, you want a beneficiary, your parents, uh, you, you're getting married or you are married, you have young kids, you definitely need to have a life insurance policy. That's what Policy Genius is for. They've placed over $5 billion in life insurance for people like me and people like you. They have a licensed customer service team to help you find the best policy at the best price, and you save 40% off other prices for life insurance because it's basically a clearinghouse. Instead of having to work through a bunch of agents, they go direct to consumer, and that means they're competing directly with each other. You save over 40% off other life insurance prices. Go to policygenius.com, P-O-L L-I-C-Y-G-E-N-I-U-S, policygenius.com. No jargon, no sales pressure. Nobody's going to try and upsell you. You just need the life insurance that you need, and that's what policygenius.com is for, the most accurate prices. And again, you save a lot over other life insurance prices. When you get to the upper levels of life insurance, when you're talking about buying you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars in life insurance, uh, then you can save up to 70%. In some cases, I've been told, policygenius.com. You should have life insurance. My recommendation to you, just as a human, you should have life insurance and policygenius.com. 
policygenius.com is the best way to do that. P-O-L-I-C-Y-G-E-N-I-U-S, policygenius.com. Check it out. Okay, so the really big story of the day beyond these kind of smaller fails from the Trump administration is, of course, Trump Care. So Trump Care is supposed to be up for a vote today. It is unclear whether it is going to pass. It is very, very close. Right now, it's coming down to one or two votes. Is it something people should vote for? You know, I'm split on this. On the one hand, I agree with the National Review crowd that says that it's better than Obamacare. On the other hand, it's still a piece of garbage legislation, and now you own it. I I don't think that you should vote for this. I think that what you should do is you should vote for a straight repeal of Obamacare and then a piecemeal replacement of Obamacare. Having these omnibus packages where you redo the entire health insurance system and then suggest that it's yours, this is a big, big, big mistake. So the fact that you have... The fact that you have them voting for a couple of good things like Medicaid reform and eliminating some but not all of Obamacare's taxes, those are good things. But that's outweighed by the fact that you're not getting rid of the key Obamacare regulations. Those stay in place about pre-existing conditions. You're not getting rid of the mandate. Everybody who talks about the individual mandate goes away. It doesn't really go away. There's a backdoor mandate. If you miss a year of coverage and then you want to re-enroll, the federal government forces insurance companies now to charge you a 30% surcharge in order to punish you so that you don't drop off your insurance plan until you're sick and then rebuy it when you're healthy. It retains that new Ryan Trump entitlement program. This, of course, is the refundable tax credits to buy health insurance. So if you're poor, then we just give you some money to buy health insurance, which is basically an entitlement program. And it funds people not to buy health insurance while healthy. So one of the new provisions in this particular bill was comes from uh, Representative Fred Upton. It's an amendment that gives states $8 billion over the next five years to fund high-risk pools. But essentially what it's for is people who are trying to who have who have pre-existing conditions didn't buy health care didn't buy health insurance and now want to re-enroll and they're going to pay that 30% fine now we're going to pay that for them so we're now incentivizing people to stay out of the marketplace so they can be eligible for that sort of grant it's not going to be enough it's a fig leaf it's just it, it, there's so much wrong with this and it's all because the reality is that Republicans lost this issue the minute that they lost the argument about the government's involvement in healthcare to begin with. A free market healthcare system is still the best option here, but nobody is willing to say that because a free market healthcare system in, says that you are responsible for your own health insurance and that your community and not the government is going to help you out if you come up short on all of this. That has lost the argument. And the reason that that has lost the argument is because of this emotional argument that Everyone, quote unquote, has a right to health care. And Jimmy Kimmel made that case the other night. I talked about it at length on the show. Sean Spicer at the White House responded to that and he said, well, Jimmy Kimmel is why we're fighting to improve Trump care. Well, I think we share that concern for uh, the Kimmel's child as well as any child that needs care. And that's frankly why the president fought so hard to improve the bill like he did this morning to make sure that there was that extra layer of protection for anybody with a pre-existing condition, no matter their stage in life. Um, that's, that's why we're fighting so hard for this. But I think most importantly, and I think at the end of um, you know, Jimmy Kimmel's monologue, he said that there is no, you know, we need to have some of these things that aren't Republican or, Repo- or Democrat, uh, that they're American policies. And I think that's what the president is fighting for right now. Okay, the president is not really fighting for, the, for, for what conservatives would like. He's certainly not fighting for a free market in health care. He has always made promises that are not true. And the minute that you say that the government is responsible for your health care, you're in trouble. The left has successfully made the case that free market health insurance, which is the way that the vast majority of people in the United States still get their health insurance, that it doesn't work. MSNBC's Jason Johnson is a good example of this. Here's what Jason Johnson said about about health care and the government. 
beyond his preconceived You want to talk about elitism, right? You want to talk about, oh, is Jimmy Kimmel an elite? You're an elite if you don't have to depend on the government at some point in your life. There are sick people out there. There are seniors who need federally funded you know, cars to take them to and from places. There are people who have student loans. There is cancer research from the NSF that helps people throughout the entire country. So if you can say, I don't care about the government, that must be great and fine for you if you're that rich, and maybe the people in the White House feel that way. But regular people, Republicans and Democrats, realize how stupid this is. I can't wait for them to make this mistake so they get wiped out in 2018. We can have some competent Republicans and Democrats running the country. Okay, so the, this is the idea the left wants to push, is that we are all inherently dependent on government. This is not even true in the healthcare sphere. So all the talk about pre-existing conditions ignores one rather crucial point. This is a point that Avik Roy, who is an expert on healthcare policy, has made. His basic point is that 90% of healthcare policies already covered pre-existing conditions. You know this, because if you're covered by your employer health care, how many of you actually had to get physicals in order for you to get health insurance at this company? The answer is no. If you are an employee of this company, then you did not have to take a physical in order to get health insurance. That's because employers bargain with health insurance companies for group coverage, right? This is why you have group coverage. Group coverage covers pre-existing conditions. 90% of people who have health insurance in this country are getting it through their employer, and those people do not have to worry about pre-existing conditions because of this collective bargaining arrangement that employers have with insurance companies. That's basically basically a backdoor pre-existing conditions ban that exists in the free market. The free market does work. It does work. And when it comes to the individual market, first of all, Medicaid already covers pre-existing conditions, but there's no evidence that Medicaid actually increases people's lifespan or health outcomes. So the idea that Medicaid is what we should have, Medicaid for all, as Bernie Sanders likes to say, Medicaid for some isn't even that good. So I'm not sure exactly why you would want Medicaid for all. Again, it's bad policy, but because Republicans lost the conversation, they're now going to lose the policy. And the fact is they're coming up with this sort of Frankenstein's monster of legislation that keeps the central provisions of Trump of Obamacare, turns them into Trump care. So somehow the Republicans have come up with a magic trip that turns, Obama, that turns Obama's crap into Trump's crap. They've now done it with the budget, and now they're doing it with Obamacare as well. Again, conservatism would be a nice a nice response to all of this, but unfortunately, I'm not sure we're going to get it. And I do want to talk about some stuff that was kind of bombshell that, that James Comey dropped at the hearing yesterday. Plus, we have the mailbag coming up. But for that, you're going to have to go over to dailywire.com, become a subscriber. $8 a month gets you a subscription to dailywire.com. Annual subscribers get a free copy of Jeremy Boring's The Arroyo, a fictional film set on the southern border, action western, about a rancher trying to defend his land against the drug cartels. It's why we need the Trump wall that is currently not being built or funded. Dailywire.com, you can check it out right now. Or if you want to listen later, I iTunes or SoundCloud, and make sure that you leave us a five-star rating and review. We always appreciate it. We are the top conservative podcast in the nation. Okay, so the other news coming out of yesterday was this James Comey hearing. So James Comey is on the Hill. I mentioned yesterday a little bit about his response to allegations that he had basically corrupted the election. We talked about that. But there was some other information that came out that sort of went unnoticed because of all the big headlines coming out about his October revelations about the investigation into Hillary Clinton's server. James Comey dropped the news that Huma Abedin, Hillary Clinton's assistant, sent her husband, Anthony Weiner, the alleged child pornography on his computer guy, the, the, you know, young teenagers naked on his computer, him texting them, whatever. James Comey says that Huma Abedin sent Wiener classified information. How is no one being prosecuted for this again? There classified information on, on former Congressman Wiener's computer. Yes. Who sent it to him? Uh, his then spouse, uh, Huma Abedin, appears to have had a regular practice of forwarding emails to him for him, I think, to print out for her so she could then deliver them to the Secretary of State. 
Did Congress, former Congressman Weiner, read the classified material? I don't. I don't think so. I think his I don't think we've been able to interview him because he has pending uh, criminal problems of other sorts. But my understanding is that his role would be to print them out as a matter of convenience. If he did read them, would he have committed a crime? Potentially. Uh, would his spouse have committed a crime? Again, potentially. It would depend upon a number of things. Is there an investigation with respect to the two of them? Uh, there was. It is. Uh, we completed it. Why did you conclude neither of them committed a crime? Because with respect to uh, Ms. Abbott in particular, we, we didn't have any indication that she had a sense that what she was doing was in violation of the law. Couldn't prove any sort of criminal intent. Okay, couldn't prove any sort of criminal intent. Intent is not an element of the law. The fact that James Comey did not prosecute Huma Abedin or Hillary Clinton for all of this is a violation of law. Comey should be immediately fired for his rewriting of law in order to reach his political conclusions. James Comey also said that the, what, what really capped it off for him was Loretta Lynch's meeting with Bill Clinton. That is why he felt the need to insert himself in the political process. And the capper was, and I'm not picking on the, the Attorney General, Loretta Lynch, who I like very much, but her meeting with President Clinton on that airplane was the capper for me. And I then said, you know what, the department cannot by itself credibly end this. Okay, so that's when he stepped in. Again, I think Comey's incompetent and should be fired. Just another reason he should be fired. The, the big shock of the meeting, and this was making a lot of headlines around the right-wing blogosphere, uh, was that the, a senator, Chuck Grassley, uh, he, he actually talked about <coughs> excuse me, uh, whether there was, a, there was a report in the New York Times that there was a document uncovered about Russian hacking, which suggested, it was from a Democrat operative, talking about Loretta Lynch rigging the investigation into Hillary Clinton in Hillary's favor. And here is James Comey being asked about that by Senator Grassley. What steps did the FBI take to determine whether Attorney General Lynch had actually given assurances that the political fix was in no matter what? Did the FBI interview the person who wrote the email? If not, why not? I have to give you the same answer. I can't talk about that in an unclassified setting. Okay, and uh, again, this is a big story because obviously if Loretta Lynch was formally rigging this thing for Hillary Clinton, then that deserves an investigation. Comey said that he could not confirm or deny whether the email existed. That means the email exists. The question is whether it was a Democrat operative who was just speculating about Loretta Lynch uh, versus and Hillary Clinton, or whether it was actually somebody like Loretta Lynch saying, I'm rigging this thing for Hillary Clinton. We don't know the answer to that. So, you know, that was a lot of hubbub on the Hill yesterday, but it's uh, unlikely to result in anything material. It should result in James Comey being fired because he obviously is incompetent at his job. Okay, I want to leave a lot of time for the mailbag today because we always have to shortchange the mailbag. So let's do things I like, things I hate, and then we'll do the mailbag. So things I like, we've been doing 20th century music. I want to show you how a lot of 20th century classical music has played into the movie. So yesterday we played, or two days ago, we played Holtz the Planets, Mars from the Planets. And if you couldn't hear the, the thundering footsteps of Darth Vader and the Empire on May the 4th, May the 4th be with you, of course, uh, if you couldn't hear that a couple of days ago, then uh, you were probably tone deaf because obviously he ripped it off from Holtz the Planets and Williams freely acknowledged that. This is another piece where it's obvious that John Williams ripped it off, this time for Superman, Respighi was a, was a composer who lived at the beginning of the 20th century, and he wrote a piece called Pines of Rome. You've probably heard this if you've actually seen the new Fantasia. And the new Fantasia uh, is, includes a playing of Pines of Rome. It's the, it's the thing with the whales. Uh, and uh, and Otto, his name was Otto Respighi, uh, Italian composer. 
And uh, it was a symphonic poem written in 1924. There's a whole cycle about this. It was about basically the history of Rome. There was Fountains of Rome, which he did in 1917, and then there was Roman festivals in 1928. This is the second this is sort of the second movement, although it's not all one piece. And this last part of it is supposed to you're supposed to be thinking of the of the pines along the uh, along the Appian Way as the Roman soldiers march into Rome. Uh, here is the the end of Pines of Rome, and I'm going to show you how John Williams ripped it off for Superman. from Superman. I'm going to play this is the section uh, from Krypton. Uh, and this is some of this is replayed a little bit uh, when he gets to the Fortress of Solitude, but this is the original Krypton music at the very beginning of the film. The original Superman movie John Williams' music from that. You notice the similarity? didn't try to hide this. He's talked about the fact that Respighi was his inspiration for this part of Superman, but it does go to show you that whatever is on the scratch track very often ends up looking a lot like what's in the movie. Uh, so Respighi, it's a great piece. Pines of Rome, you should listen to the whole thing. You can see it on YouTube, being downloaded on iTunes. It's really good. Pines of Rome, obviously the inspiration for the Krypton section uh, from John Williams' Superman. Okay, other things I like, you know, I, I wasn't going to talk about Star Wars, but I, I, guess that, uh, I guess that I will because it is May the 4th, and, uh, and never have we seen such a wretched a wretched hive of scum and villainy is the is the U.S. Congress apparently. But uh, aside from aside from that, uh, you know what? You guys have all seen the the trailer for the new Star Wars movie, no, right? No, 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 no. Oh, he hasn't seen the trailer for the new Star Wars movie. So, no. dang it. So I'm not okay. So I'm not going to talk about this just for Mathis. I'm going to skip it just for Mathis. Um, I, I will give you my one word reaction to it, uh, which is disappointing. Disappointing is my one-word reaction to the trailer. Okay, I haven't seen the movie. The movie's not out yet, Mathis. Calm yourself down. The trailer is the trailer is disappointing. Uh, I I also believe that I rewatched Rogue One and I reviewed Rogue One a few months back, and I think I gave it a little bit short shrift because I was really tired when I saw it. I saw it at like eleven o'clock at night, and I was kind of falling asleep at the time. And uh, and I rewatched it actually on a plane, um, and it's really good. I mean, Rogue One is really a first-rate movie. It's much much better than The Force Awakens. The Force Awakens does not age well. The Force Awakens is one of those movies where when you see it, you're like, you walk out, you're like, that was pretty good. And then the more you think about it, you're like, that was really not very good. Uh, and the, and that, that's because you realize, number one, and you know this at the time, but you're so overwhelmed by the nostalgia of it that it doesn't matter so much. It's exactly the same plot as the original Star Wars. And then beyond that, they destroy your childhood, right? Okay, so I can, it, do I need to give spoiler alerts for Force Awakens? Everyone on Earth has seen Force Awakens. Yeah, do I need to, do I, okay, so spoiler alert, spoiler alert, okay. Now, Han Solo gets killed, right? It destroys your childhood, 
Okay, I grew up where Han Solo was the galaxy's biggest badass. And everyone wanted to be Han Solo, right? Women wanted him and men wanted to be him. Every, no one cared about Luke. Luke was kind of a whiny geek. But Han was awesome. And then they turn him in The Force Awakens into a bickering divorced dad who can't deal with his kid. You know he's going to buy it. The minute that, that Princess Stupid Leia, who hasn't done anything to develop her Force skills, by the way. I mean, they, they foreshadow it in, in Empire Strikes Back, right? Yoda, there is another. And then she does nothing with the Force for the rest of her life. For the rest of her life, she does zero things with the Force. Right? The end of Empire Strikes Back, Luke talks to her with his mind. Oh, happy day. That's the entirety of what Princess Leia does with the Force for the rest of her entire life. Except for giving birth to, apparently, the, the, the next worst person in the universe. So, she tells Han that it's time for Han to go talk to her kid. The minute she says that, he should have said to her, Look, lady, you go do it. <laughs> I've got a life of my- You know, you're his mom. You go talk to him. Why me? Why do I have to do it? She says, go talk to him. Yeah, that's going to go real well. That's just going to that's gonna be a winner. Also, I, I do have to ask why it is that in a galaxy where people have achieved life speed, no one has a cell phone. They're like, well, why is it that nobody can just pick up a phone and call Kylo Ren and be like, dude, get your, get your bleep together. Hey, let me Facebook you. We'll have a conversation. Like, let's get together for a coffee. Instead, I'm going to fly to your death planet, and I'm going to infiltrate your death planet with, every, with all your friends trying to murder me, and then we'll have a conversation on one of Star Wars' famous walkways. Okay, here's the rule in Star Wars. Never have a conversation on a walkway suspended over nothing. Okay, always goes wrong. Never a good move. No one has ever had a good conversation on a walkway suspended above nothing. It just ends poorly for someone involved. It destroys your childhood. Again, Han's whole thing is that he's a badass. Harrison Ford in real life is still kind of a badass. Turning him into, you know, like a character, the parents of one of these kids from the Bad News Bears is really, is really nasty. So anyway, um, I hope that the new Star Wars is better than that. Rogue One was really good. Um, but unfortunately, there can't be sequels really to Rogue One. The sequel to Rogue One is the actual first Star Wars film. Uh, so um, I guess we're going to have to live with whatever they give us. I, I just hope that The Last Jedi is not Jar Jar Banks. That's all I hope. Okay, so now I want to say thank you to our friends over at Blinkist.com. So I've spoken very highly of Blinkist. This is an app that you download your phone or your computer, and it allows you to basically listen to books in 15 minutes or less. So instead of you having to listen to 300 pages of somebody narrating a book to you, you can actually get the main points of a book by going to Blinkist.com slash Ben. So you have no time in your life. You're just in the car for 15 minutes. What can you done, get done in 15 minutes? Well, aside from listening to my podcast on double speed, the other thing that you can do is you can go to Blinkist.com, 2,000 best-selling nonfiction books transformed into powerful packs that you can read or listen to in just 15 minutes. Uh, they give you sort of the main points of the books. And then if you like the book, you can go and you can read and buy the whole book. I've read many of the books here. Some of them, like Why Nations Fail, fantastic book, also 700 pages long. If you don't have the time to read 700 pages, but you want the general points in Why Nations Fail, which, by the way, is probably what you're going to come out with on the other end after having read 700 pages, is you'll get the main points and then forget about everything else. Instead, you can give you can do two or three books just in one car ride. So if you're reading one book a week or one book a month instead, why don't you up the amount of information you're putting into your brain by a factor of 10? And that's what you can do with Blinkist.com slash Ben. I'm getting letters from people who are saying they've tried it and they love it. You can get a free trial period or three months free with a yearly plan when you go to Blinkist.com slash Ben. So try it for free. Or if you buy a yearly plan, you get the first three months free at Blinkist.com. It's called B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com slash Ben to start that free trial. Uh, again, you can go through through a bunch of books really quickly and get more information. If you listen to the show, I know you're addicted to information as I am, and that's why you should go over to Blinkist.com slash Ben. Okay, other things that I like. So 
I have to give credit to Ann Coulter. So Ann Coulter, who spent the entire election cycle talking about how Trump was going to be absolutely wonderful, supported him in the primaries, thought he was just going to be a genius wonder, wonder force for life. Uh, now, he's basically described Donald Trump. She's described Donald Trump's budget as, quote, a spectacular failure. She says, Democrats have got to be pinching themselves thinking, am I dreaming this? She said, we knew Washington Republicans were useless. That's why we elected such a comically improbable president as John, Donald J. Trump. Okay, what she's trying to say, but she won't say it, is that on this budget, Trump has been basically useless. But at least Anne is honest enough to acknowledge when Trump fails. That's unlike some other commentators who have been putting out notes on Twitter about congressional Republicans have failed. Trump has the ability to veto things. If he doesn't want things passed, he doesn't have to pass them. Okay, time for some things that I hate. So I didn't know whether to put this in things I love or things I hate, so I'm just going to put it in things I hate. It's one of my favorite things in the world, actually. Uh, the o Murder on the Orient Express is an Agatha Christie book that is a great mystery novel. Uh, it's a classic of the genre. They made a really good movie with a bunch of huge name actors back in the 1970s. Uh, it's, it's, you know, Hercule Poirot, and, and he's trying to solve a murder on, on a train, basically. It's a, one of Christie's famous kind of closed-box murders. So they're making a remake of this with a bunch of big stars, and, they're, and they put out the poster for it, right? And, uh, and somebody on the left has responded to the poster with this particular tweet, okay? Movie called Orient... This is a reviewer for the New York Times and Variety. Movie called Orient Express, and I don't see any Asian people on here. Murder on the Orient Express. And you can see that it's a, it's a really big cast. Uh, it's, it's got a bunch of stars in it. Um, it's Johnny Depp, and it's Daisy Ridley, and it's Michelle Pfeiffer, and it's, it's a bunch of, of big stars. No Asians in Murder on the Orient Express. Let me explain something. The Orient Express is a train. Okay, it's not called the Orient Express because it is an Asian train. It's called the Orient Express because one end of the line go, went in those days all the way to the quote-unquote Orient. That's the entire thing. Okay, the, the original novel is filled with white British people. It's filled with white British people and French people and some Belgians. It is filled with all those people because this is supposed to be taking place in, like, 1920s, 1910s Great Britain land, basically. You know, there's some Russians on the train, as I recall. It's supposed to be based in Western Europe. All of the people who are on the train are in Western Europe, and the train basically gets bogged down in the snow. It's not called the Orient Express because it's supposed to be an Asian movie. Yeah, this is even dumber than the people who are very angry at Iron Fist because Iron Fist is a white guy, even though in the comics Iron Fist is like a white guy. This is even dumber because at least with Iron Fist you can say, well, it's a karate fil you know, it's a karate show about somebody who's a kung fu master. Maybe he should be a white guy. Maybe he shouldn't be a white guy. That's stupid. Okay, it's stupid because basically all Iron Fist is is a Marvel knockoff of Green Arrow, um, who is a white guy who ends up learning kung fu. But beyond that. The idea that we don't need white heroes anymore. This is what I saw about Iron Fist. Someone tweeted this. We don't need white heroes anymore. I, I would think we need heroes of every race. But to, to pretend that Orient Express is about Asians is just is ridiculous. Okay, other things that I hate. So Bill Nye, as you recall, uh, has done this whole routine about how sex is malleable and man can be a woman and a woman can be a man and and when my sex junk and all that. And we played the, the more than we should have of my sex junk, the worst piece of creativity in human history. Now, Netflix has picked up all of the old Bill Nye the Science Guy shows, and they cut out the part of the original Bill Nye the Science Guy show that talked about chromosomes and sex. Here's what the original looked like. This is in the original episode, and then here's what they did now. I'm a girl. Could have just as easily been a boy, though, because the probability of becoming a girl is always one in two. 
See, inside each of our cells are these things called chromosomes, and they control whether we become a boy or a girl. Your mom has two X chromosomes in all of her cells, and your dad has. Now they completely cut this out. Okay, they completely cut this out. So we have fast forward to the to the uh, to the new version. So she, we're coming up on it now. So here is the new version of what happened. Oh, that's it. We didn't we didn't cut that. Oh, that's the original. Okay, so the the new version they cut this out. It's gone. Okay, this is no longer in there. You, what, when he says, usually there's a, the segment on Bill Nye the Science Guy where he would say, consider the following, and then make a funny face. Now it says, thank you for joining, consider the following. It just cuts it straight out. So we've now revised actual science in order to fit the, the transgender messaging of Bill Nye, the non-science guy, Bill Nye, the PR guy. Just ridiculous all the way through. Demonstrates how science means nothing to these people. They've, everything that this girl is saying in this particular episode is true, but we can't say it anymore because it's mean to transgender people. And then Caitlin, people might think Caitlyn Jenner is actually a dude because, you know, Caitlyn Jenner being a dude and all. Okay, time for the mailbag. So if you are live on our site, we'll do a couple of live mailbag questions as well. Jordan says... How do you deal with people who say kids shouldn't have to worry about their parents being deported? It's difficult to find a moral argument to combat this one. How would you tackle this argument? Okay, well, here is the reality. Kids shouldn't have to worry about lots of bad things happening to their parents. Kids should not have to worry about their parents going to jail. Kids should not have to worry about their parents being unemployed. Kids shouldn't have to worry in an ideal world about any of those things. That relies on parental responsibility. If kids should not have to worry about their parents being deported, their parents should not have crossed the border illegally. And the fact is when we talk about dividing families... It's not about dividing families. If a family wants to stay together, the kid can go with the parent. The parent should have known this before coming into the United States illegally. It's a problem. When a parent commits a crime, the parent is still guilty of the crime. And that's sad for the child, but that really is not on the system. That's on the parent. Robin says, hi, Ben. I'm a medical student with only a few days left before I can practice. I've recently become worried, as many physicians I'm surrounded by have told me that, be that being a doctor is not what it used to be in terms of salary and working conditions since the introduction of Obamacare. With a wife who's a doctor and with everything going on, do you still think it's worth it to practice medicine or have the advantages of a medical career been lost? Do you think this will change with the new health care system under Trump? I don't think it's likely to change very much with the new health care system under Trump. I think that concierge medicine is the wave of the future. I think more and more people are going to be downloading apps on their phone that allow doctors to come direct to their homes to, to care for their kids, which is sort of the way medicine used to happen. The fact is that more and more doctors are going into specialties. There is always too much artificial regulation of the medical industry. The fact is that it's ridiculous that you have to go through, seven, you have to go through college, four years of training, and then three years of medical school, and then minimum a three-year residency in order for you to diagnose a flu. That's silly. Okay, so a lot of those regulations need to go away in the first place. It's basically a backdoor way of having, this is what libertarians would argue, it's a backdoor way of having a medical guild that keeps the salaries up. But for people who are highly trained, like doctors are, they should be paid a lot of money. That They're, they're doing something unbelievable, and it takes a lot of time and money in order for them to get there. It is silly to, to try and restrict the salaries that doctors earn because they're the ones who are providing all the care. We have a shortage of doctors, and Obamacare has not made that any better. It's why so many doctors are going into what they call the road path, radiology, anesthesiology, uh, anesthesiology ophthalmology, and uh, dermatology. The reason being that those are the least regulated fields. Those are the ones that are the most privatized, and those are the ones where insurance sometimes doesn't even cover it, like dermatology. Um, so the fact is that there are still areas of doctoring where you can make a lot of money. Um, but most people go into doctoring not because they want to make a lot of money, but because they want to help people. But they have to be able to afford to help people. And it takes a lot of time and education in order to get somewhere. So we need to relieve all these regulations. But yes, it's much more difficult to be a doctor than it has been for quite a while. Lauren says, hey, Ben, do you think teachers are underpaid? If not, why not? If so, why do you th what do you think should be done to fix this? Good teachers are underpaid. Bad teachers are wildly overpaid. 
Union systems have basically dictated that all teachers be paid the same. This is stupid. Teachers should be paid based on their quality. There should be quality control of teachers. Good teachers should be granted raises. We should incentivize teachers to teach in crappy schools. Right now, the way it works is the most inexperienced teachers teach in in L.A. They teach in South Central. And the most experienced teachers teach in Beverly Hills School District because the unions want to make it worthwhile to be in the union. It should be the reverse, right? It should be that the new teachers get the easier job of working in the Beverly Hills School District. And the older teachers, you know, the ones who are really good and know how to deal with kids, those are the ones who have to deal with the harder kids. That would make more sense in terms of education of children. But great teachers should be paid more. Bad teachers should not be paid at all. Austin says, what would be the benefits in privatizing the national parks and other public lands? All I see from the media is that if they were privatized, the companies who run the parks would exploit them into non-existence. That is eminently untrue. You know, somebody would still run a profit because people want to camp there. They would be cleaner. Uh, they would be better kept. I mean, look at Disneyland. Disneyland's a wonderful place, right? Disneyland is better kept than the public parks. Why? Because they make a profit off of it. There are privatized parks in Maine. There are privatized parks in states all over the country. And those privatized parks are not being exploited for oil derricks. The fact is that people who, like, what public parks are for is so people can sit around feeling good about themselves that there's a park somewhere that they will never visit. That's really what the parks are for. You've never been to any of the public parks that the federal government is protecting. Or if you have, it's like five to ten of them. But the fact is that what we actually need is a more privatized system so that we can protect the places that really are worth protecting and we can make sure that we have the resources that we need from the places where we need the resources. A private system does it better. Okay, so we will be back on Monday. We'll give the update on whether Trump care passes or fails. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, let's say you were a stormtrooper and you were enjoying a nice meal of roasted Ewok in the Death Star mess hall. Well, all of a sudden you hear the voice of Alec Guinness saying, use the force, Luke. The next thing you know, the entire place is going up in flames around you. And it's at this moment you really wished you had life insurance. Make life insurance part of your financial planning this year. Start shopping right now with Policy Genius. Find the right policy and protect your family. Policy Genius makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from top companies and find your lowest price. Luckily, Policy Genius helps you compare your options from top companies and their team of licensed experts. Well, they're on hand to help talk you through it. No added fees. Your personal information remains private. It's super satisfying to check life insurance off that to-do list. A good life insurance plan can give you peace of mind that if something happens to you, God forbid, your family will be able to cover mortgage payments, college costs, or other expenses. Life insurance through your workplace might not offer enough protection for your family's needs. It's not going to follow you if you leave your job. Head on over to policygenius.com right now. Save time and money. Give your family a financial safety net with Policy Genius. Head on over to policygenius.com slash Shapiro or click that link in the description. Get your free life insurance quotes. See how much you could save. That's policygenius.com slash Shapiro. Hey, 